It's Thursday, 4 p.m. Central. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... And we're here, Kristen. We're... It's me. It is you. It's not Elizabeth. She's taking a fabulous vacation. Poor Karen's out sick. Jerry's traveling back from IFA. Andrea's at IFA. We're the only ones here. Except for yes. and Ray. Finally, I get to take over. Oh, sorry. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. No, not really. You don't get to take over. Oh, well. So, some questions for you. I've been watching the franchising world lately. Well, first, and... welcome to Pillars of Franchising. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay, tell me, what's the so, word on the street? So, it's Subway, you know. Subway was always that super franchise that, that was everywhere. And yet, I see that their shareholders, or sorry, franchisees selling them or sorry, suing them about the fact that like, um, they've got to do costly upgrades and, and um, if they can't close um, underperforming stores. As somebody who doesn't own a franchise, that would scare the crap out of me, keep me from buying one. So what's your thought? Yeah, I mean, it would make me nervous too. I mean, first you had um, a big run, everybody was investing in subways and they allowed their franchisees, instead of protecting territories, they allowed them to cannibalize each other, which meant that they opened very close to one another. What could be a wildly successful store now had to essentially split their sales with a store two blocks down the road, um, and that creates issues. Then not too long ago, we had um, the situation where they were demanding everybody have the exact same hours, irrespective of you know where exactly they were. Some, some stores might be in a downtown urban area that literally shuts down like when I lived in San Diego five o'clock on a used to be okay not anymore but used to be five o'clock during the week the whole city shut down and there was nothing going on down there it wouldn't make sense for a restaurant like a subway to continue to be open seven eight o'clock on a Tuesday evening well at this point now the subway owners didn't have a choice um, a lot of the pricing was going to be set pricing the menus are going to be set now menus, things like that. If you think about the McDonald's model, those things make sense, right? That's why you buy a franchise. But some of the other things that they're doing really doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I get that they're trying to protect the parent company. Personally, if they're not going to allow you to make a solid business decision on lower performing stores without making these costly improvements and then looking to sell one-offs, you can't divest your money, that would really concern me. I'm not a restaurateur. I do not have any interest in Subway. So I'm speaking from an outsider looking in. I can't say that I'm on the inside and I know all of the you know details in the Subway franchise, but from an outsider looking in, it's not a brand that I would get involved in, nor have I been involved in in several years because it just makes me uncomfortable. So I, I remember that the big knock on them was that they were opening everywhere and cannibalizing um, others, other franchisees. And, and that would always be a concern. But this bit of not being able to un close underperforming 
um, franchises that they own. Is this something you can find in the FDD or how do you protect yourself from signing with the system that allows this? Well, their FDD should be updated every year. And if there's any big changes like that, it absolutely should be. Um, and this is the exact reason why you want to get not just any lawyer, but a franchise lawyer to review the FDD with you and keep them as a partner. Because should you have some of these issues with your franchisor, you need to be able to call that franchise attorney and say, hey, listen, this is what's going on. Um, you know, in our franchise, we had a change of events where um, our national marketing fund was changing, right? Well, that had to go to a vote. And in the vote, it was stated that instead of just automatically dumping in this big increase, the franchisor was going to put it in over a course of four years, right? And so the owners in that case voted that they would indeed do it because it was kind of dribbled in and they defined why they were doing it and the owners agreed to do it. So that even if you were under a 10-year contract, maybe you're in year two, within the next four years, you would be brought up to a 2% national marketing uh, fund based on sales. Now with Subway, it doesn't appear on the surface that a whole lot of what's been happening to those franchisees has been voted on. It appears it has been said by many owners that it's being shoved down their throats. Again, I'm not a legal expert. Laura List would be a great one to talk to if she's familiar with the Subway fiasco. She might have a few things to say about that herself. So it's not just me. It it does feel like they, it is being shoved down their throat. Yeah, I you know, I always say if there's a lot of legal noise around a franchise, you might not want that to be the first franchise that you dip your toes into. Um, it's not usually a good sign. Um, anytime the inmates get restless, it makes me uncomfortable. Okay. And you just, what you just said, actually reiterated what Red, Ray said in Pillars Pillars segment last week about look at the legal stuff in the FDD to see what's been done. Yes. yes. Any other news for us? Any wise wisdom hit, tips or, or things we should know? Boy, I have to tell you, I would have to guess that let's stick with this whole subway theme. You know, most of our listeners and people who are looking to buy a franchise have a subway in your community. As one of the validation points that we talk about all the time, if you're considering it, talk to the owner. You know, you'll find a lot of those owners are actually working the restaurant. A lot of them find that they have to be the person making sandwiches in many cases, unless they're a multi-unit owner, a big multi-unit owner with lots of partners. Um, so talk to those people. I mean, that's the best way to validate and get this true story of what's going on with Subway is to talk to the people who actually own them. Yeah, I, I actually had a restaurateur years ago, 15 years ago, tell me the quickest way to make a small fortune in restaurants was to start with a large one. <laughs> so on that like at them. so <laughs> let's shall we go to the next section let's do it talking about all that food uh making me hungry <laughs> of course 
<laughs> but we we are talking today with Thomas Scott, who is a well of franchise knowledge. He is the founder and CEO of Home Run Franchises. And uh, Thomas has been franchising for more than two decades. He started out as a multi-unit franchisee, then he became a franchisor, growing Show Homes Home Staging to 100 locations in the early 2000s. He then started Brand Journalists, a franchise development agency that has helped 380 franchise systems and over 12,000 people to become franchise owners. He has been a multi-unit operator with top sales in each system in three different franchise brands. Thomas uses his experience as a marketer and franchise operations professional to grow successful franchise systems that are focused on franchise profitability and strong, positive franchise relationships. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for the intro. Thomas, it's great to see you again. Great to see you guys. I missed you guys at the IFA. Like everybody was just getting back from the IFA. It was a stellar event. Like I'm so excited to see all the energy in the franchise industry all at one place. Yes. Well, you know, I am looking forward as we were talking about before the show. I know I'll get to see you down uh, next month at Palm Beach Atlantic at the Titus Center for Franchising. My favorite place. This is such an amazing educational program that um, focuses on franchising. That's a killer university. We're excited about that program. Yeah, it really is. And we always like to give a shout out to Dr. John Hayes, who's doing an amazing job with those students down there. And uh, we're obviously going to talk about him and his students here coming up. But I'd like you to tell all of our listeners and viewers a little bit about Home Run Franchises. Yeah, uh, Home Run is a, is a platform brand. We have four in distinct franchise brands. It's Up Closets is a custom closet franchise. It's kind of in the vein of a closet by design or California closets. You know, that's a... Um, Oddly enough, a booming segment in a down market, you know, as people are um, spent two or three years in COVID in their houses, they started investing massive amounts in home upgrades. And I've got everybody on this call probably has done a home upgrade in their house. And so um, even though there's a lot of franchise brands in the closet space, like that's a boom market. We're at max capacity and we're selling franchises and our franchisees have really, really good earnings numbers. That's just a fun business. And so much of us you were at home for two years, you watched massive amounts of HGTV. <laughs> so yeah. we're all design experts. So if you're a realtor, a home organizer, a home stager, just somebody who loves consultative design work, um, the you know, the closet business is a lot of fun. Well, um, if you're someone like me, my closet is at max capacity. <laughs> and I well, just need yeah. help. <laughs> no, it's, um, you know, the, the builder grade closets that most houses have, which look nice, um, are really poorly designed. Like, I think that's the problem we have. We'll go into a closet, take everything out, do a floor to ceiling closet with 100% organizational space throughout drawers, shoe shelves, wow. hanging and, and stacking. And they'll put everything back and it only really? up 25% of the closet. <laughs> like yeah. it's, you just don't realize how much wasted wall space there is in a closet and how yeah. much a good closet can, how much pain. People will cry. Like, well, they'll walk in to see it. They call it the I, I would do that. No, people <laughs> will cry and they're just amazed. You know, because the, the truth is an unorganized closet, um, it creates a mental health problem. It stresses people out. They're late to work. They can't find, <laughs> you know, and they'll cry for, you know, at the back of our van, say friends don't let friends have closets of shame. And what we really mean is people, <laughs> people are, um, 
ashamed of their uh, lack of organization in their closet. And the, the truth yeah. is, if you have a bad closet design, it's not really easy. So we love that space. I've worked in closet franchising for years and we did it at Show Homes. I've done work with some of the biggest brands in the space. And I just love that space. My wife runs the one here in Nashville and it's, it's, it's a beautiful business. We went from COVID, we were running three Just Love Coffee franchises during COVID. We had great sales. You know, I am a restaurateur. I've owned lots of restaurants that's a penny business. <laughs> you know, you're talking about Subway. You have to be a master of managing a P&L, managing food and labor costs. And that's yeah. like not for the faint of heart. <laughs> you know, it's a yeah. single digit between you and not making money, making a lot of money and losing money. And, yeah, you know, if you're a restaurant person, it's okay. You know, those restaurant people are, um, it's in their blood. I, I'm a coffee person. I ran coffee shops with breakfast kitchens. And um, we had 65 employees and about $30,000 a month in fixed rent on the three that we have. It was two and a, two and a half or $3 million in sales. It was a great business before COVID. It was an absolute nightmare during COVID. You know, couldn't, oh, get, exactly. couldn't get coffee, couldn't get food, could, couldn't open the dining room. It was just, mm -hmm. my life was like, I got to do something else. So we, we started the closet franchise at the end of COVID and she's not looked back. She has one employee <laughs> as a yeah. van. She takes to go shopping when we're not using it for closets. Mm -hmm. and you fit the whole <laughs> garden in the back and, and she, people love her. She's got it really, it's a really fun business. So that's the first brand. The second one is Dryer Vent Superheroes, which is one of the, the three big kind of brands in that space uh -huh. uh, that do dryer vent cleaning. And, you know, that's a, you think that's not something we always ask people, when was the last time you cleaned your dryer vent? And people, they look at you kind of funny, like that's not something I've ever done. You were just telling me a story before the show about you had birds in yours and you're, yeah. you're a real customer. You know, we need to talk after the show. <laughs> but yeah, then, I thought for sure those eggs would be hard boiled. And sure enough, <laughs> on Monday, there were three things. Oh, they're just an incubator. Yeah. They, um, you know, the um, everybody who wears clothes should have, that means they have a dryer typically. So like you, you go to any street, and <laughs> any suburban area, anywhere in the country, and it's a once a year service, there's all this repeat business. So we love that business. It's a fabulous, inexpensive business to get young entrepreneurs in and people who are coming out of a career or they've been in a blue collar trade or whether they're an owner operator or they want to scale to eight or nine units, you know, it's a good business for that. We really, really like driving. And it's a, it's a really inexpensive business to get into. You don't have to have special licenses and the training's pretty easy. We do. Oh. We the third one we have is a brand called um, the Lighting Squad, and that's a really neat, that's the newest of the four we have. The Lighting Squad we created, um, it's kind of a first-to-market concept. We okay. go after what we call nuisance electric. It's a category of work that every homeowner has. We change, we hang ceiling fans, we replace boob lights, we hang TVs, we install ring camera systems, we do low-voltage sound systems and outdoor lighting, we change light bulbs that are really high up in entryways. It's just all the stuff that homeowners know they need to do and they can't ever find someone to do, or they just don't yeah. want a master electrician to come for 1200 bucks. <laughs> that business, we have a, a special ladder that Little Giant makes for us called it, we call it the skyscraper. It's a 21-foot double-sided A-frame ladder that allows us to get up to 27 feet in the middle of a room. And so we have this picture of our technician on this 20-foot ladder and a, a two-story entryway changing a light, a light fixture out. <laughs> the, the ad says, like, everybody needs friends in high places. And we put that ad on Facebook and we get a gazillion leads for it because if you have a house with a really high light fixture, 
Why yeah. they would put changeable light bulbs 25 feet off the ground? It makes no sense. Like it's yeah. so you have to rent the ladder or scaffolding to get up there is seven or 800 bucks. So we charge 300 bucks for the ladder fee. It takes two people to set up and 150 bucks. So it's $450 for us to do that. And we're in and out in an hour. We do four or five of those a day and there's no cost wow. of doing it's that's turned out to be a sleeper business. Like it took off, like we're, we're booked out a month in most units. <laughs> And wow, that's wow. crazy. That's and you know awesome. what's funny is is I looked to get ring doorbells hooked up. I have two ceiling fans sitting in my garage. Yeah, we see we need to we just need to talk again. But I would come to your house and we would we would do your ring doorbell, which is a couple hundred bucks, or yeah. you know, hanging ceiling fans. And we would say, What else do you have? We hang pictures, we can clean windows, and we do all this other kind of related handyman stuff. And yes, we do it you could do my dryer vents, you could do my closets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's but that that's what we call a nuisance. You might get around. I talked to we hang ceiling fans for people who see our ads on Facebook, and they've had those two ceiling fans in their garage for five years. By the time they get around to calling us, <laughs> yep, mine will be extinct before the the lighting code, <laughs> yeah. the echo code. Warranty's well, all gone. <laughs> but you know that's but that's everybody on your street has. I mean, every homeowner can think. You guys are probably all think about something that you have. Sure. Oh yeah, uh, Thomas. Uh, all these franchises that you have sound really easy to get into. Can we talk a little bit about the, what what's involved in getting into them? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, let me back up. And then the fourth one we didn't talk about is called Lifestyle Window Films. And that's a window tending business for homes. Oh, yeah. Businesses. Yeah. We do security film, frosting, um, decorative film, all the solar films. That's a really cool green industry business. That's That's a neat business with really, really high margins. But we built all of these businesses, all of our businesses revolve around what we call a hub and spoke system. So we have a really advanced tech stack we use. We partnered with Workies as an IFA supplier. It's a best in class kind of truck CRM. We do, you know, texting and sales automation and invoicing and credit card payments and the routes and the GPS tracking for the trucks and, you know, all the stuff that you need to run a service business, you can run all of our businesses are 100% paperless. You can run off your cell phone. You don't even need to have a laptop. Wow. Yeah. Really cool thing. So um, that's half the battle right there. It's, it's a big, you know, we, yeah. we, you know, if you're looking at service businesses, the kind of technology that powers the business is a critical thing to talk about today. Like it's, right. so we have like, you know, really advanced technology and it's all automated and it's amazing what that does. Like for instance, when we collect payment, um, like our lighting squad, those guys are up on that ladder. <laughs> they have a tip screen, like everything has a tip screen today, but all of our stuff has a tip screen on it. And darn, if they don't make a thousand dollars a month in tips each technician. Wow. Just because of the screen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just, just because they don't ask for it. They, you know, yeah. it's we don't have to. Yeah. If somebody's on a 25 foot tall ladder in your living room and they do a great job and they're really professional, yeah. clean, and they do a good job. You would throw them 50 bucks. You wouldn't even think, because that's a big thing. You don't want to get up on yeah. a 25 foot ladder. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't even like getting up on a 25 foot ladder, but okay. uh, you know, it's, but it's but it's kind of a fun business for the person that kind of gets how lucrative that is. Um, so we um, we designed everything to be scalable and similar. So all of our businesses use similar marketing. They use similar training. We have similar coaching and onboarding. You know, it's a really, it's like a hub and spoke. So there's a lot of shared kind of resources for us. And all these businesses fit together. Together. So we cross sell between brands like we'll go put a closet in and end up selling dryer vent stuff and lighting squad and window film for the other brands in that area. It's really cool. We have rack cards in the vans and they hand them out and 
it's awesome. it's kind of crazy like how easy it is to get somebody else business when you're standing there well, Thomas, Thomas, you know Ray started to bring that up it, so tell us for somebody to get into these brands your point of entry seems to be very reasonable can you talk yeah. about yeah. that's a that's a perfect thing glad you said that if you google how much does it cost to start a business the excerpt that google will put up is thirty thousand dollars like that's what it'll show is the kind of pull out um kind of excerpt if you google how much does the average franchise cost it's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and so that scares a lot of people away yeah. all of our businesses from the closets is the most expensive and the lighting spot is the least expensive run from 44,000 to 62,000 total investment. That's the van, the tools, the training, oh, the wow. insurance, yeah. um, like something simple, like, you know, can we reduce, can we, can we figure out, we like Mercedes vans. A lot of our techs drive sprinters and right. metrics. I think when you roll up to a house in a nicely wrapped Mercedes van, people do notice the big oval on the front, you know, like it just says, wow, you must be, yeah, you have a Mercedes. It costs exactly the same as a Ford or a Ram. It just, it just, you know, it's a German car. We yeah. actually switched to them because we, they didn't have chip problems during COVID, and that's why we started buying them. But we like them. They drive better and they're nicer and they hold their. Yeah. We um we underwrite the lease leases for our franchisees. So I guarantee the leases. So it allows you to qualify with only seven hundred dollars down, mm-hmm. and um the tax and title. So for a couple of grand, you get a, a wrapped van with ladder racks and interior racks, a bulkhead, a floor, all that stuff delivered to you. And it's a 60 month lease to own. Um, and you own it at the end of the lease. There's no mileage restriction. We just made it really easy. So I had to take the risk as a franchisor to underwrite the things. And all that really means is if you defaulted on your lease, um, I would take it over and make something. Yeah. I never have enough vans. I can get rid of vans tomorrow. You like (laughs) that's actually a good deal for me. So, um, but but that simple willingness to to be pro franchisee, which is a core cultural part of our brands, is makes it possible and knocks thirty or forty thousand dollars of the cost of the franchise off the the bat. Now you can go buy your own van if you want, or you can buy a used van, whatever it is. But most people just really like having a brand new van delivered. It's easy. Um, so our, our total investment being in that 40 to 60 range is a lot closer to where the 25 million people are <laughs> that are mm-hmm. looking to start a business. And so yeah. when, when you look at those people and they look, I could start one for 30, but I have to figure all this stuff out, like yeah. software, technology, a website, marketing, staffing, where do I get shirts? How do I get, what does my logo look like? And you go for just a little more, you could run a really reputable franchise from people who know what they're doing and have done. I know this is, these are my ninth franchise systems I've franchised. You know, it's not, um, not my first rodeo doing this. Right. Right. As I've been a franchisee many times and I'm a serial entrepreneur and I come from a big Lebanese family and we're just, we're all about entrepreneurship in my yeah. family. That and family, my- right? <laughs> family and entrepreneurship, we're, we're short and fat too. That's the other thing. We're five by five. That's what we say about Lebanese people. They they don't That's live long. They have a really good time while they're living. But the um, you know, that that just is the idea that business ownership should be fun and interesting. And when you've been a franchisee, I've been a franchisee in systems that weren't fun to be in. They were very right. you were talking about Subway is a great example. That is not a fun business to be in. I'm a huge fan of Subway. I love their products, I eat their sandwiches all the time, but I mean, the franchisees are hurting in that system because the franchisor isn't pro-franchisee. And it doesn't take a lot to make a system fun for franchisees. And when you have people who enjoy the business and love getting up, going to work every day, and they're excited about the work they do, and they make a lot of money, like you can't 
lose with that combo is their franchising is really just a two metric business. You need happy franchisees first. Yep. They have to love it or they won't, you won't be able to sell and they need to make money. If you do those two things, what you'll find is half of your growth over time comes from internal expansions. People buy more units. And, and you that- know what? I want to talk more with you about that and some of the cool things that you've done, not only to attract, but to keep and grow those franchisees. As soon as we come back from commercial, we're here uh, with Thomas Scott from Home Run Franchises. We'll be right back after this commercial. As usual, thank you for joining Pillars of Franchising. We appreciate every single one of you. Um, We want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Titus Center for Franchising at Palm Beach Atlantic University. You can find them on the college's website. Also, Franchise Show 247, which can be found at FranchiseShow247.com. And we couldn't do without our sponsors, and we appreciate their support. Don't forget, we love to have call-in guests. Our number to call in is 323-580-5755. That is 323-580-5755. If you have questions for our guests or for any of our Million Dollar Mentors, we welcome you to call in at any time on the show. We will do our very best to answer your calls. Stay tuned. More coming up. Welcome back. Thank you for sticking around. We're back with Thomas Scott from Home Run Franchises here on Pillars of Franchising. So Thomas, we were just talking about... um, happy franchisees versus not so happy franchisees. So I know that you've been working a lot with Palm Beach Atlantic and the Titus Center. Let's talk a little bit about um, you and the work that you do with the students there and helping people get into affordable franchises. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. I I tell my, I have daughters that are, that are in their mid twenties and I tell them that I identify as a Gen Z. I'm a 53 year old Gen Z. I think we can do that. Now we can identify with whatever we want. (laughs) I'm going to choose to identify as a young entrepreneur Um, because I think that um, there's an energy that, you know, we talk about generational selling, which we can come back to in a second. But the Gen Z, the kind of currently 26 and under that like 18 to 26 age group is a really interesting demographic for franchising. Um, It's they're just built different. And if you've been around kids that are in college at that age, they're not like we were when we were that age. You know, when I was, you know, when the only people who got into businesses or did businesses with their parents that were my age when I was in my early 20s were the real screw ups. <laughs> you know, it was what you did because you had no other options. <laughs> that is not the case today. Those guys are you know, women. Girl, I mean, it's um, I like that they're um, really driven. We call them the YouTube generation because they're the first generation of people that really like have grown up with YouTube. So they have an expectation of access to information and, and an ability to self-learn that's unparalleled. Like they... Mm-hmm. You point them in the right direction and give them in the format that they like, which is a big deal. Like you can't train them like you would train a 50 year old person. Um, you have to go f- much faster <laughs> and condense it, <laughs> do it in smaller bites. You think this TikTok generation, but they um, they're super coachable. And what I find is that generation is the really the other word we call them is we call them the they're the jobs are for losers generation <laughs> the idea that you would work in an office for 40 hours a week and sit in a cubicle and give that much of your life away to an employer who really doesn't care about you 
just blows them away. They think that's the stupidest idea. They're like, what are you guys smoking? <laughs> like, who thought of that idea? That sounds like a bad idea. I don't want any part of that. And we talk about the great resignation, but really what's happening is those people are just, they're just doing their own thing. They're doing fractional work. They're doing side hustles, their gigs. I don't know any of them that have, they all have a job, a side hustle and a business. If they own a business, they own multiple businesses. You know, they're really, really aggressive on that front. There's something like 85% entrepreneurial. Like it's an enormous percentage. And what I like about them is because they're coachable, if you decide, and this is what you have to do as a franchisor, is you have to say, look, franchising is not just um, a business to buy. It's a whole professional development path. Like you buy a franchise and I'm going to teach you how to become a sophisticated multi-unit business owner. That's what you're going to get in this relationship that you and I have is I'm going to build a performer with you. I'm going to help coach you all the way and systematically as an organization, like whatever you, wherever you want to be in three or five years and however many units you want to, we're going to lay that out and we're going to take that journey together. And it's going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) You know, we're going to, we're going to take the universe over because there are all these slow moving people that are ahead of you our age that don't think like that, you know, and then they just have no, no boundaries and they're unafraid to fail I think this is one of the best things about them. Their idea of failure is that if you're not failing, that means you're not trying. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like they they could fail. You know, I, I tell young, the young entrepreneur, I've recruited two franchisees from Palm Beach Atlantic this year already. I was like, look, you're not even going to remember your 20s when you're 50. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you, can't. <laughs> you actually can't really screw up. And, you know, they're coming into a service business. Some of them are still living at home or they're, you know, they don't have the um, overhead that we we have at our age. So their idea of winning and losing is like completely different than what we think of, than like a baby boomer would think of. Somebody's got right. been in a career for a while. So I, I love young workers. I really think that um, the Titus Center at Palm Beach Atlantic's done a fabulous job of creating a whole new generation of franchise executives and people who are really knowledgeable about franchising. Right. It's why Chick-fil-A recruits from there. We have to like, I've got some franchisor friends and even the people from Chick-fil-A and we joke about it. We're starting to fight over candidates. <laughs> like there's only yeah. so many, like 60 or 90 students in that that classes and they're all really sharp. And, and, like, and now your son is going to be joining that rank. Too. Son, yeah, my son went to 10 schools. Like, you know, I, I went to school in New Orleans at Loyola. It's a Jesuit school. And I was like, you should go to my alma mater. That'd be a lot of fun. And you... You could go hang out in New Orleans and what a cool city um, to go to school in. And he's like, I don't really like those schools. And, you know, he went through COVID like a lot of high school kids now. They went through COVID. They have a really stunted view of what education's like. It also makes them better to recruit for franchisees. But he went to that school and saw all the kids in the entrepreneurship program studying franchising. And he was blown away. He's like, I can do this and live on the beach. Like, that's amazing. (laughs) That's where he's going. He, um, was a hockey player and he liked Forge and Fire, the show where they make knives and wanted me to buy a forge and put it in the garage. I was like, there's no way I'm, I'm ever going to buy a forge and put it in my garage. But if you like knife making, why don't we learn how to sharpen knives? That's a really cool business. That might even be a good franchise system. And so we bought some equipment and we both learned how to sharpen chef's knives and got into Japanese cooking knives and all that kind of stuff. And he makes about $500 a week now after school sharpening knives oh. and Frank to see where we live he does them for chefs and he'll go to your house and pick your whole drawer up and bring it back to you a couple hours later he's got a cool little niche business so he's actually talked to john about like is that a franchisable business and could i help me build a business plan to franchise that 
because he, you know, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, the next step of entrepreneurship is to be a franchisee. And the uh-huh. turbo version of that is to be a franchisor. Like he's already figured that out. You know, it, it helps that he grows up in a house like ours, but sure. all of the kids are involved in franchising. They're all like pro franchising. The two of my well, daughters. Sure. And, you know, we talked about before the show, you know, there are those of us who <laughs> bought franchises to create a legacy, right? And then yeah. now we have some of these younger generations who are like, well, that's kind of, you know, that's cool, but that's not really what I want to do but they do see the value in franchising. They may just not want to do what we're doing. They want to do their own thing. Like your son doing this, yeah. this right? Yeah. Right? My son's like the same age into hockey and he's got this thing with an ax right now. Yeah. So, I don't know what's going on with these boys with the <laughs> sharp yeah. objects. <laughs> yeah, I don't care as long as they can make money. Yeah, but, the, um, but that's, you know, it's, it's good. You know, hockey's an intense game. It's a lot of fun, but... Yeah, he's going to, he's not going to play hockey in school. They don't have hockey there. So it's, he's going to kind of switch into business, kind of the school that goes, but yeah, I do think, um, you know, there are four distinct generations in franchising. I'm sure you guys are aware there's baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z. Those are the four groups. They are radically different in their views of why people buy businesses. And I think if you're recruiting businesses, designing franchise concepts, talking to people about entrepreneurship, you have to really be aware of that. If you don't understand the way the generations fit together, you know, if you're, um, for instance, if you're um, a baby boomer, somebody's got some jams going. <laughs> but if you're if you're a um, if you're a baby boomer, um, you were raised like a lot of people. Um, was the first generation that went to college, so they were raised to go to college to work in a fortune 500 company and work for one company your whole career and retire on a pension as early as you can and go to the beach and go fishing and play golf and all this that's what the successful life path was and you know that didn't work out so well <laughs> like they didn't that didn't really work and so you had these people this whole generation of people that were taught that you should stay this really kind of safe path because all the prior generations created opportunity for you and ended up with that and ended up working 70 hours a week and going through broken marriages and mental health issues and alcoholism and a lot of bad stuff happened. So that group is really risk adverse. They're not really, they weren't taught to be franchisors. They have to were taught just the opposite that if you're a business owner, you're, you're kind of strange and that's, you're going to end up and down by the river, you know, like they're not only eight or 9% of um, baby boomers are really open to business ownership. It's a really small portion. And so you get into Gen X, which is kind of more of our, of our I'm in my 50s. And the Gen X people looked at their parents go through that, all those downsizes. And, you know, I have a, like, what is a pension? Like, does somebody actually have a pension? And do people actually retire? Is that like a thing that actually happens to people? And uh, college was kind of overrated. <laughs> like, I was a lot of that with a very little ROI. You know, I think that that whole like advice on life was wrong. So we, um, as a generation, when we make up the largest group of buyers in franchising right now, that we just wanted work-life balance. Like I want to be able to make money and have some independence, but I really want to go to my kid's hockey game and I want to be able to go on vacation when I want to go. And, you know, if you're my age, you're shaking your head because that's exactly what we want. So you explain the business in those terms. Like this is a business that doesn't require you to travel and it gives you some balance. You can have some control over what you do with your time. Millennials, the generation below us, which we kind of call the slacker generation, they get credit, you know, they're late bloomers. It's the participation trophy kind of um, generation, but they, um, 
they looked at Gen X buyers and they think, God, you guys are like capitalist pigs. You did it. I, I like the work-life balance makes sense, but you'll do anything to make money. You don't care if it's running a Hooters or doing a, a business with poor people or you don't care. <laughs> if it makes money and gives you the balance, you're happy. You know, and like I want something a little more um, mission-driven and authentic and I want to make the world a better place. And so if you were at the IFA, one of our the, the company I really love is Meals of Hope, which is a non which is a, a nonprofit franchise that does charity work to, to feed and hung, you know, solve hunger problems. It's an amazing and all their owners are millennials because that's the kind of business that emotionally resonates with those people. Millennials also make up the largest group of buyers for home care brands today. Like they're the people taking care of baby boomers <laughs> because yeah. it makes the world a better place. And, you know, so you just, they have a really distinct way of authentic businesses, mission-driven businesses. The business has to be real and emotionally cool for them before they make money and they make money after that. Then you get to the Gen Zs, which are the side hustle generation. They're all Gary V tribes people. Like they're all about like hustle and building a business and doing some cool stuff and enjoying the work you do. And they're less concerned with the mission driven business, but more sensitive to diversity and inclusion and more sensitive to the world as it is now. Like they look at things differently than somebody my age would. But I think all those generations matter. So when you're recruiting franchisees or creating opportunity for people, you have to be really sensitive to well, at what point in time did this person come from <laughs> and like, how do they view the world or you're going to have a complete disconnect with them. Yeah. Well, I think that's what makes your brand very um, unique and interesting with a low point of entry. You know, I, I look at your brands and I'm thinking, wow, I could afford to do a couple of these, right? I mean, and yeah. that's really great about some home service brands is that a lot of them can piggy bank, uh, uh, piggyback, excuse me, on one another quite easily. And you can share client lists, but like a lot of, you know, umbrella platform brands are doing now. Um, and so I'm curious, do you find a lot of um, owners that have multiple brands within your platform? Yeah, I, have, I have a couple. Some people have the lighting squad and dryer vents, one person up closets and a, and a window film business because they kind of fit together. They all do. Like, I think if you don't have the ability to expand in more units in your geographic area, going to the, a related brand makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, the, the thing about my, the way that I design my concepts, is we'll do more than the four we have as we keep going, is that we really think that we should have low overhead that should be van-based and mobile. We like businesses that you don't have to have huge numbers of employees. So yeah, a lot of service brands like restoration is a good one. You can make a lot of money in restoration but you have no work-life balance. You have to chase storms and leave at weird times and you're gone for yeah. weeks at a time and you have to have massive amounts of equipment and you have to have really skilled technicians and an army of them. And I don't want, after running the restaurants, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> My wife has one full-time installer and that's, it's her, it's those two. And they go yeah. out and do all kind of amazing things. And you know, it's had, funny because retail management, one day when I was working with a broker to buy my brand, that was one thing I said, I don't want to be a part of anybody's emergency. Yeah, right. Yeah, there, like, nobody nobody like needs to have window film and that's not an emergency. Yeah, a dirty yeah. toilet, it can wait. Yeah. 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 yeah, so all of our stuff is, you know, schedulable and balanced and easy to manage. And, you know, that's really important. But, you know, it's there are service brands like, a painting is really popular right now. Like I, that's a much harder service brand to run than any of these. Like you have to find skilled painters and 15 of them, you know, you got to have a whole crew of people. Yeah. To yeah. Do jobs. It's hard to scale that business. It's a great profitable business, but again, it's, 
um, it's it's hard to get into and kind of make work. So, so we like the simplicity of our brands. We look for a really particular sweet spot: affordable entry, simple to operate, easy to train. You know, easy to market for is a big part. We haven't talked about marketing, but our whole customer acquisition kind of method is state of the art. Like we're way ahead of most people in the way we think about how to get to people. And the, the last part is that it needs to be specialized. I like very niche concepts, like. The yeah. riches are in the niches, like for sure that works in this business. Because if, if like you have a dryer vent problem, I'm your expert in your market. You know, if you need that to change a, a light fixture that's 20 feet off the ground, like I'm the one guy that has that that problem. Right. In right. And you know, I have lots of reviews about why I'm good at that particular problem. I think that's how customers are buying services today. They're not the market celebrates specialists and forgets generalists. So when you go have a problem, you look immediately for proof that the person you're going to hire can do that thing. You don't hire an electrician or a handyman. You hire somebody that does light fixtures or somebody that hangs TVs or somebody that cleans dryer vents. And if you can align a brand around changing customer behaviors, you unlock a whole level of performance for marketing that's much more um, affordable and productive and efficient with a higher ROI. Yeah, all, all of these uh, concepts sound really interesting and, and fun and easy to get into. And yeah. what would be the best way for people to get a hold of you when they're you know ready to make that plunge? Sure. Um, well, I'm, I'm certainly on LinkedIn. Our website is homerunfranchising.com. Um, and you'll see all of our brands and you can connect with us. We have Calendly links. You can book a Calendly. I'm on TikTok. The official Thomas Scott is my TikTok. Home everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, we're all over TikTok. I'm, uh, they they say in the friend in our company, they say I'm the TikTok hype man because that's all I do. Is, <laughs> uh, but you know, we have jealous. I am so know, jealous. It's a it's a lot of fun. You know, we believe in communicating um, emotional messages through short form video. Like we do it with our customers, we do it in our ads, we do it for franchise recruitment. You know, you'll see a lot of my own personal branding. I talk about entrepreneurship. A lot of these topics. I do in 60 second videos, we publish videos every day. And I think um, that's the kind of way, that's the future of marketing, really. Like if you're younger, um, people aren't going to go to Google for too much longer. They're going to tick. Like if I want to learn how to make, I like to cook. So if I want to cook a beef stroganoff, I go to TikTok and look up the recipe now. That's where I go to learn in 60 seconds or less how to cook stroganoff. <laughs> that's true of everything. It's all organic. Yeah. So we've we're actually doing deals off of short form video. We've done three this year. It's kind of crazy that we're finding people and they see it and then they message you. Like I'll do a, a video on why if you have a son or a daughter that's in their early 20s and they're struggling in college and they want to drop out. So you should buy a business. If I could go back and buy service franchises when I was 22, oh my gosh, the runway I would have had by the time I'm 53. And wow. and they'll share my video with their kids and the kids get excited and they end up talking. It's really that simple. Like, but yeah. I, you know, I'm a I'm not a franchise broker or consultant. Like I'm just a franchisor. So I only have my four brands to sell. If I was a franchise consultant, I would be doing that kind of marketing all day long today because they can reach so many people, thousands and thousands of people, and you can do it really inexpensively. But um, it's a lot of fun. Well, that's awesome. Thomas, it was so nice to sit down and have some time to chat with you. And I can't wait to see you next month in the sunny Palm Beach of Florida. Sure. That's going to be awesome. Thanks for having me. It was a really enjoyable. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. We look thank forward you. to having you again. All right. Thank you guys. Hey, franchise owners, how's your local marketing? 
Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a y.com. Welcome. Hello. It is so great to see you today. Well, I know I'm jealous. All this food talk, all the talk about Florida. Um, I'm just, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of envy over here. Well, I was thinking, oh my gosh, here he is. He like goes on TikTok and makes all these videos. And all I can think about is, wow, I feel so old. Like, why is it that I can't be the TikTok queen? I, I get so embarrassed making videos of myself. I wouldn't even know how to do that. I do think that the the younger generation, um, it, you know, they don't have that level of, I don't know if it's, in, you know, just internalized, right? You know, like they don't have that shame, I think of like, do I look dumb in this video? And it's like, yeah. it doesn't matter because <laughs> yeah, everyone's doing it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So no, it's, it's very effective, um, but I agree. Awesome. So let's um, let's talk a little bit about all the legalities of this fun stuff. What's on your mind today? Well, let's see. I was thinking when I was listening to our guests, you know, being on those 27 ladders, I was thinking about uh, having really good insurance when you're a franchisee. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes when we see owner operator franchises, right, where you don't really have to have employees, especially at first, um, there's a lot of states that will let those owner operators um, not have to carry workers come. Okay. Oh, yeah. And it can be very challenging then if there is an injury for them, you know, to figure out, okay, how is this going to get compensated? Um, yes, they probably have health insurance. Maybe their spouse is still working and they have insurance through that, if not on their own. Um, but, you know, it is important not to overlook um, some of the insurance issues. You know, I have a client right now who's looking at buying um, an existing business that is not a franchise, but he intends to franchise it after he's acquired it, you know, had it for another year or two. Um, and, you know, one of the things that came up immediately was, um, are a lot of the people who work in this business, are they misclassified as either contractors when they maybe should be employees? Um, and so, you know, we brought in an employment law attorney because the insurance, you know, issue there again, where you haven't paid unemployment insurance, um, you know, it, it will come back to haunt you. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine, especially if you think about some of the people who are up on ladders, whether they're cleaning windows or changing light bulbs or, I mean, any kind of high fall or working with electric. I mean, right. I cannot imagine what that. Puts right. And that's not to say it's, I mean, everybody's going to need it. Right. And these businesses, you know, the margins are high yeah. enough that they can certainly afford to have insurance. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's important not to skimp on that just because, you know, you're like, oh, I'm just getting started. I'll deal with it later. Yeah. 
Well, and let me ask you something on along the lines of um, some of the things that Thomas talked about that I think is really cool. Um, and I know that our franchisor does that too. Let's talk about some of the insurance type things that are needed when you have a fleet of cars, say, mm -hmm. um, things like that, right? It, even though maybe you don't necessarily hold the entire note because you have the backing of your franchisor, what does that mean in terms of insurance and things that you have to carry? Yeah, so, um, you know, when you have fleets or you have multiple vehicles, um, you know, obviously, and that assumes that you have multiple people who are driving, right? It's not just right. the owner. Um, so, you know, not only will you have, um, you know, regular auto liability for underinsured or un uninsured motorists, um, you probably will also need to have, you know, hired, um, hired motorists, which means that you're using it, you know, it might be someone else who's driving, it's not just the owner. Um, you know, that can really affect your premiums. Like I, I know another um, client that I've worked with where, you know, they have had, um, you know, they didn't check people's driving records before they hired them, but it is a business where they need to drive. You know, they just ask, do you have a driver's license? Yes, yes. Okay. And they did, they did have a driver's license. However, um, once they got in there, you know, they had to tell their insurance company who, you know, who was going to be driving, right? You know, it's these five people or whatever. Um, and their rate immediately spiked. Um, you know, they're up for renewal like a month later. And it's because they had people come on board who had really terrible driving records, not necessarily with them, right? But it's the risk analysis that the insurance company is doing um, to cover themselves that, you know, okay, if you've had multiple accidents before, it's likely that you'll have another one uh, and they don't want to be stuck holding the bag. So who's responsible for running that? Is the franchisee responsible or is the insurance company? Yeah, I mean, in that situation, you know, the franchisee is the um, employer of those employees, right? Or, you know, if they're contractors and they're letting them use the vehicle for some reason, sure. you know, they're the one who has the vehicle and they are the one who has to carry the insurance on it. Um, so, you know, I would say it's just like running background checks, right? You know, it's it's one thing that somebody says, oh, yeah, I've, I've never, you know, done whatever. I've never, you know, I don't know. Never stolen. A, right, never <laughs> stolen. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty important to double check that. Yeah, yeah. I would have to guess that perhaps, and I'm not an HR expert, so I, I can't say for sure. You'd have to certainly check with your HR expert that you can't not hire them for that. Or you can, I shouldn't say you can't not hire you can't fire them for a poor driving record, but you can prevent them from being a driver. That is probably the case. Yeah, I don't specifically do a lot of employment law exactly, but you know, it's it's I would much rather have people be doing those checks before they even hire someone if it's preventable. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, try and find out if it if it happens, you know, later on and they already work there, you know, so be it. But if it's preventable, um, you know, they may be the best at whatever they do, but it's going to cost you so much more to hire them. Yeah. So I want to make sure I'm very clear. So if I have a business and I have a contractor that comes in and does work for me and comes to find out he has a record of, I don't know, theft or something. And then I have a client who says, oh, I'm missing this, you know, diamond bracelet. Um, you know, obviously he's not my employee, but he did work on behalf of me. Right. 
Yeah. And so in a, in a lot of those scenarios, I mean, you know, it is a question ultimately of what the insurance coverage, you know, specifically says, but Sure. In most cases, you know, contractors are not covered on the general, you know, businesses, employment, uh, not employment, but just insurance policy. They're not covered because they're not an employee. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's covered when it's an employee. And um, most people, you know, they don't realize that, that, um, you know, you'd have to be requiring that that person got their own insurance and then that the company was added as an additional insured on that policy. And that's, you know, frankly, just too much effort for what the general business person is going to do to hire someone, you know, just as a contractor, right? You know, unless they have a long-term established relationship, that's just yeah. too much. Yeah, uh, especially if for me in a franchise system, my personal choice would be to have a model that I don't need to worry about all that. I mean, on a personal side, we just had a contractor whose who's invoices listed four different contractor licenses. We'll come to find out only one was sort of valid in one city, but <laughs> the other cities, they hadn't been paid for it. And the other ones, the numbers didn't even exist. They were bogus numbers. Oh, wow. And I didn't know you could check them out. I didn't even know how to check them out. So, right. Yeah. And that's something too. Yeah. You have to think about, you know, and if you do work in different municipalities, you know, what are the different rules, right? Like, you know, the client that I have who's buying that business that he intends to franchise later, um, you know, he personally is in the South, right? Yeah. He, down in the Carolinas and he's buying a business that's here in Chicago, even though he doesn't live here, doesn't intend to live here. Um, and, you know, like, you know, I had to kind of say to him, like, look, you know, you do work in the city of Chicago as well as in the suburbs. Like there's a whole other side of employment law that only applies when yeah. you are in the city to the people in the city, right? You know, there's, there's sick time, you know, like all of these things. And he was kind of like, oh, and, you know, I, I introduced him to another attorney who exclusively does employment law because he's going to, I don't want him to not know these things, right? You know, he needs to be a good employer. Yeah. But there's a big curve that most people don't know, right? If you've always lived somewhere else or maybe you never worked in the city, you know, that you're doing business in now, you got to double check. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are a lot of people who buy franchises and say, no, oh, I really want to retire in Florida or California <laughs> and therefore that's where I want to start my franchise. And the first conversation is you better make sure you're familiar with the laws there because, you know, HR law, labor law, California, right. that's a big Right, problem. yeah, and, and different things are, <laughs> you know, easy to license or hard to license depending yeah. on where you are. Yeah, if, you, if you're not a, a business that doesn't require, you know, permitting of some sort, besides maybe a, you know, certificate of occupancy, um, you really do need to check on that. Well, as, as always, Laura, thank you very much for your expertise and your legal advice. We certainly appreciate it. Hope we'll see you again next week. Yeah. So, Ray, it's back to you. It's back to you and me again. <laughs> oh, I thought Kristen is going to be on, on this one, too. Well, yeah, she will. But, you know, it's one of those things of we got to we got to talk some things first. Oh, okay. Okay. Ask away, Grand Poobah. So, first <laughs> let me fix the screen, but that's something different. That's okay. They don't need to see any more than my brain. Yeah, I know. Okay. So, we're talking today about, um, we've been talking about how does 
somebody like me go off and buy an existing franchise. I don't want to buy a new one. I want to buy something that's already a proven business, not proven business concept, like you would say, but a proven business. So we've talked about the FDD. We've talked about how to make sure the books aren't being cooked, a phrase I really love. So the question, because I've been contemplating, how am I going to find an existing franchise for sale? Because the only way I know so far of how to do it would be, in fact, to go up and talk to an a existing franchisee, which in a couple of cases I actually have um, because they're old clients. But where else would I, where else would I find existing franchises? How else could I find one? Well, I'd certainly uh, start looking from uh, uh, on Google, you know, to see what's available out there. And I'm sure that from there you can find other sites that are uh, more precisely uh, for uh, resales. But I, I think the important question is, uh, you know, what, what what is the process? And the uh, in my mind, the process begins pretty much the same as you would look for any any franchise. So uh, if you're if you're if you're looking for a uh, particular one, then uh, you know you got to pretty much decide where you want to be. And of course, uh, when you narrow that scope, you probably narrow the scope of, of the franchises that are available. And it, it matter it does not matter whether it's a new one or or uh, a resale. Uh, once you get to the point where you've actually found one, then I think then. Uh, at that point, you need to dig a little deeper than you would for a new franchise. And what I mean by that is what, why, specifically why is that franchise for sale? And uh, it, it, it really doesn't matter too much what is said at that point. I believe what you really need to know is, are you incurring anything that would that had caused the original owner to uh, put it up for sale. Is there a lot of debt? Is there uh, are there other reasons that uh, you're unaware of? And that's where uh, you hire someone like Laura to uh, dig into that system. But see, I got to find one. I and and that makes perfect sense to me. That's all part of that. Look at the FDD business. Um, you know, make sure they're not getting the books cooked. But that seems to entail that I've already found one. So I like the idea of websites. I know biz buy sell is out there. And a while back, you mentioned one for franchise for franchises for sale. Um, I'm assuming, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, I could probably go talk to the franchisor. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. See if- yeah, okay. I would imagine they would let you know as well. All right. So when i look at um something like a biz by uh biz by sell.com or i've looked at franchise for sale and it never seems to be the owner that is the contact it always seems to be what i'm gonna say is a, a sales agent or a broker so is is should we, I be, we'd be talking to a broker? That's, that's certainly, it's the same thing if you're buying a home. I mean, you can find, uh, uh, what do they call them, FISBOs for sale by owner? <laughs> you know, okay. I'm sure they're out there. 
and if you do the research well enough, you can find it. And just like with buying a home, you could probably get it a little cheaper. But if you found have a broker now, some some of that thing, some of the things we just talked about, she may or he may be able to do that. So why don't we bring Kristen in and let her talk a little bit about that? Oh, we're going to bring Kristen in. Okay, she's going to take up all the screen. <laughs> now I'm okay. She's bigger than life anyway. She's bigger than life. So, Kristen, as our resident broker, enlighten me. How do I find a, uh, an existing franchise for sale? Well, what are you going to do to help me? So you guys certainly did mention a couple of the ways. And, and you know, Ray, you're right. If, if you want to do it on your own, like you're buying a house for sale by owner, franchise for sale, uh, biz by sell, there's a lot of, I'll call them search places out there. Um, and many of them in some way or form are tied to either um, brokerage houses or specific brokers, right? That's just, that's how they appear. That's what's behind them. Um, there is a large misnomer in that there are only a few brokers out there who actually charge the buyer to help find a franchise. Most all brokers are paid by the brand that they sell. So it, and you know, some would say, well, then how do I know that you have my best interest in mind? That's really where building a relationship comes from. Um, I think if you are dead set on a brand, you drive by that coffee shop every day, Big B Coffee, and you're like, I really want that location. I really want that brand. I heard that lady struggling and I'd like to buy her out. Then by all means, you don't need a broker to go and do that. You talk to that owner, you call Big B Coffee Direct and say, hey, I need to know, do you have any for sale? Um, and you start having them disclose for you, which means send you the franchise disclosure document. You start doing your research. The benefit, even on a resale, to using a broker is that a broker can help you navigate that big, ugly FBB and help make sure that you don't miss spots in the FBB. They can help you make sure you remember to validate. They can guide you along with what types of questions you want to ask, even if you have selected the brand. So those are the things that I think you should find value in a broker for. Um, brokers don't make a lot of money on a resale, not as much as they would on a new. Um, but if you find a broker who's not really in it about the money, they're really in it to help people, that doesn't really matter. You know. Okay, so I, I, I want to come back to something you just said. Um, so We'll say you, if I'm coming to you to say, I want you to, I want you to find me a, I want to buy a franchise. My question would be, I want to buy a franchise. I want it to be existing because I don't want to go through the first three or four years running around like a madman trying to get it to work. Sure. Um, I want it in a specific area. Okay. Um, you're saying that you're going to potentially go out and find me what's available and I don't got to pay you. Correct. That is not to say that all brokers don't, but it is a select few that do. And those select few will 
state that they do it because it's their best interest, they still get paid from the franchisor in addition to getting paid by you. So take it or leave it. I'm not judging anybody. But I, yeah. No judgment. I just, I, I want to make sure I understood what you said is that um, potentially the four fee where I have to go and pay them something. Mm -hmm. um, one, my question would be, is that a percentage of the, the sale price that I got to pay? Is it a, a, a flat fee? Flat fee. Okay. So I got to pay them a flat fee and then they're, um, they're going to go out and find me something. And then they're also going to get a kickback from the franchisor. Yes. All right. So now this is one of the things that as you're talking about this, um, it just kind of came hit me. Um, if I go out and buy a car and it quits working within the first 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, I can take that car back and say, you sold me a lemon. Give me my money back. Can I do the same thing with these four fee brokers? <laughs> no. Oh, well, that sucks. Okay. So you're going to help me find out, find a, uh, a franchise as a broker. Do you also help me find financing? Yes. So every broker should have a slew or three or four. I have two or three that I would typically work with um, based on relationships and reputation and the current situation that you happen to be in. All right. Um, we're again using me as an example and we all know that California labor laws really kind of suck and op buying anything in California unless it's a very specific okay there's two franchisee franchises I know I would buy but they're not ready to sell yet. Um, where besides California would you say I should buy? Where besides California should you buy? Mm -hmm. Should I look? There are, well, so the, there's a couple of things. There are many states that are more um, business friendly, we will say. They may not be states where I would want to live, um, but I'll use one that's close by here. Indiana is a super business friendly state. There are a couple of states that are difficult for franchisors and brokers to do business in, in addition to uh, California being difficult for franchisee, Washington and New York are more complicated to do business in. There's actually, I believe it's, for, forgive me if I'm wrong, 16 states that are a little more complicated for franchisors to do business in because they're registration states. And so some franchisors wait and expand into those states once they've developed a good um, amount of franchises in the non um, registration states first. So, um, you know, there's, it depends on what exactly you're looking for. So if you just came to me, Fred, and you said, you know what, I'm not really sure what I want to buy, uh, but I know I want it to be a resale. I would take you through the same process that I would take somebody who's not sure what they want to buy new. And quite frankly, if I was talking to you about just buying a new one, one of the questions I would ask you is, have you considered buying a resale? You know, the difference well, between buying something new and buying a resale is, A, how much do you have to put in and how quickly do you need to make money back? Because sometimes while you put money in more quickly, you're, you're generating cash more quickly as well. 
So it's not like me who opened up in 2007, hit the recession and didn't make money for five years. You know what I mean? It's totally different. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why this segment is based on the idea of I don't want to buy a new one because I'm too old. I want to buy, I'm, I, I'm what I call a pilliker. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to buy a proven business uh, opportunity a la Ray, but I'm more like Jerry in that I want to buy it from to revenue, uh, diversify revenue for retirement. So I'm a pilliker. So yeah. I don't want to buy a new one, too much work. I want to buy something existing. Mm-hmm. One last wild hair crust question, then I'll, I'll um, let Ray in for a second. Um, any ideas of what the best reselling franchises systems are these days? Well, right now, I mean, we've talked, we just talked to Thomas Scott, right? I mean, really the hot, the hot item right now, which is super recession proof and because everybody's been, you know, tied up at home for two years is all the home improvement stuff. I mean, those are super, super hot. And there are actually a lot of fast food um, concepts that are still hot as well. So no food, no food. I know. (laughs) And in spite of some of the, you know, there's, some fitness programs out there. The one I really like, and it's just still too young for me to put it on my favorite list, though in my heart, it's going to be one of my favorites. I just know it is a a mental health concept aimed at uh, teens because we are so shy on mental health professionals and resources for people coming out of COVID. And there's just so many troubled teens right now. So so I was wondering about, uh, I took it one sl- uh, step slightly over as elder care. That seems to be a, a big one in there too. Yeah, right. the market's getting quite saturated. So that's the only thing I'm waiting to see is how many players can you really fit? I mean, there's a lot of the players that are there have a lot of expanding to do. So do you see exponential growth, growth within those brands or do you see more brands popping up? I don't know. I, I don't have the crystal ball. So Ray... What question you got? What in your? Well, I'm going to make a statement here. I, th- I think one of the things that from our conversation, people should realize that uh, hiring uh, someone like Kristen or even the mentors or of, of pillars is probably a really good idea, simply because we know more about what's happening in the franchise industry. So you may have some ideas about buying a used franchise or resale, but maybe Kristen can say, you know what, I've got this new concept. You can get in for less money and probably make money faster. (laughs) You know, so if you, if you don't go out there and and seek the help that's available for you, then, you know, I I think you're making a huge mistake. What do you say, Kristen? Yeah, I think that's really true. You know, I've been working with somebody um, in Iowa who has some concerns financially and how much you can really invest. And, you know, I texted him on a commercial and I said, we need to talk about um, about um, Thomas Scott and the brands he has to offer because they even do some financing of franchise costs. And I think this is a great option for you. And it's right in the field that he wants to be in. I mean, and so the thing is, the more people you know, the more networks you're in, the more you're involved in franchising, the more opportunities pop up. And I always knew with that 
client, we were looking for something in the home improvement that's his passion, but it was always a, the cost of entry. And now I have an option, right? Now I found one that fits. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, like I said, I've met Thomas several times. I know the circle of people he runs with. He's good people. It's not like this huge platform brand where, you know, it's got, it's had three or four different CEOs in the last few years. I know his daughter, like I feel good about recommending a brand like that. And so not everybody can say, listen, I know this guy, I know his background, I know what he's about. I want you to look at this brand. And so I think those are some of the things that, and I certainly felt that way with the gal who is my broker, Britt Schroeder, when I bought Molly made, and we still keep in touch today. You know, we had her on the show a while back. Yeah. yeah. And and so those are the things, in, you know, it's not that people hire me, right? It's that they're looking for a partner in this journey to find the brand that fits them, right? Because yeah. I'm not here to yeah. sell you. I'm not here to sell you. I'm just here to help you find what feels like it fits your skin, you know? So that's all I got to say. About Do that. I want to clean toilets or not? Yeah, <laughs> who would have thunk? <laughs> All right, Ray, I'm going to let you give the last words of wisdom on this episode of Pillars Pillar with Ray. Certainly, listen to Pillars and Pillars because, and listen to the uh, the mentors we have. Listen to uh, our, everyone on here. Get delve into the industry as much as you can. Find out as much as you can about a particular vertical that you're looking at. Just Immerse yourself in everything you can find so you can make a, a good, solid decision that you're going to feel good about. Thank you, Ray. You bet. Thank you. All right. I was going to play this one earlier, so I got to do it now. Oh, a wise guy, eh? <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't know what to say about the show today. But I would like to thank all of you for joining us on the show today. And thank you to our guest, Thomas Scott of Home Run Franchises. As always, we appreciate Ray Pillar, our producer, Fred McMurray, and Elizabeth Denham. Hope you're enjoying your vacation time. Uh, best of luck to Jerry and Andrea, who are on their way back from IFA. And Karen, we're so glad you're feeling better. We look forward to seeing you hopefully next week. Uh, we're thinking about you still. I am Kristen Shalmetzi, and together we are your resource for for franchising success. It's a mouthful. And we hope you <laughs> say. Yeah. This has been another episode of Pillars of Franchising. And remember, the dream starts here. We'll see you next week. Thank you for using Block Talk Radio. Goodbye.